Hi everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Future of Internal Communication podcast. I'm Kat Barnard and as ever I'm joined by my brilliant co-hosts Dominic and Jen. Today we've got a really cool guest. He's a friend of mine. We were just trying to remember when we actually met. I think it was two, we haven't actually met in real life, I should hasten to add, because um, in these COVID times, that's how we roll. But Luis Suarez and I met two or three years ago in a community of practice, and we have been having intermittent Zoom calls and conversations ever since. And so today we are going to be talking about um, how we build connection and community in the internet age. And so just by way of introduction, Lewis is an experienced social open business strategist and 2.0 practitioner with more than 25 years of experience in the fields of knowledge management, collaboration, learning, online communities and social networking for business. He currently helps organisations internationally make the most out of their own change management initiatives and deliver digital transformation programmes including using social business, by making sense of their own data analytic visualizations. That is heady, and we need to dig into that in a bit more detail. But Louise, welcome to our episode. Lovely to see you. I can't thank you for having me. It's a real treat being here with you guys today. So thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you. And so tell us just a tiny bit more about um, what it is that you do and how you came to be involved in it. Right. So um, actually, I was going to say that that just a few days ago, I went through the 25th anniversary that I've been in this space. I started working back in the day at IBM, where I was focused uh, most of it around knowledge management, collaboration, learning, online communities. And around 2000, I got my first exposure to social digital tools. So the first instances that I was bumping into blogs and wikis and something hit me like, this is it. This is exactly what we were missing from knowledge management all along where there was a heavy focus on technology and business processes. And here came this people thing where people were self-empowering themselves to create great content shared across, have conversations, learn together. And I thought like, boy, yeah, this is what KM has been missing all along, right? So I started getting more heavily involved with it. Then I became an advocate, then from an advocate and transitioning into a change leader, a change agent. Then I moved into being a bit of a heretic and a bit of an outlier, a bit of a free radical, because a lot of the thoughts that or thinking that I have been doing and saying for years, um, people find it a bit radical and, you know, fast forward to 2020, we are going in the midst of these extraordinary times and literally everything that I have been saying for the last 20 years is a reality, is our new reality. So it feels weird <laughs> if I can say that, but in a way, to me, the opportunity here is essentially how can we best make use of social digital tools to become better at what we do in terms of how we communicate and how we collaborate in in open environments and 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 using all of the social tools that certainly put the focus not just on the content that is produced but in the people who produce the content. Right? So that's mm. a little bit of, of where I come from. Mm. 
Um, and that's really interesting because actually um, we just finished writing a piece for the Institute, which will be published um, in the next month or so mm -hmm. um, around um, critical knowledge and how we preserve critical knowledge within our organizations. And I, and I came up with, it might even have been you that sent it to me, but um, a blog from a guy called Nick Milton, yeah. where he was talking about knowledge management and saying, actually, as much as 80% of the knowledge that is contained, that, that exists within an organization, mm -hmm. exists within people's heads. It's not right. written down, it's tacit. Right. Right. And it's, it's, um, it's known, but it's not documented. And, and I guess, you know, when we analyze the future of work, and the extent to which market parameters are continuously shifting and evolving, often at lightning speed, I guess it begs the question, why is knowledge exchange so key to organisational success outcomes in the 2020s? Well, to me, you know, this is a super fascinating conversation and, and topic because to me it's about decision making, right? A lot of the decisions that we make, we don't have enough information, we don't have enough knowledge to make them, and usually they're wrong, right? So what I find interesting and fascinating for that, you know, that, that dichotomy between explicit knowledge and tacit knowledge is that we are very bad documenters. We document really, really bad as humans, right? Every human has got this problem. And then when people tell me, what do you mean with that? I say, well, you know, from what we think to what we say to what we write is three different worlds, right? Uh, but the thing is that, to me, that 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 the knowledge exchange is so critical in this in this regard, especially with tacit knowledge, uh, because it's very difficult to document, obviously. But it sparks the opportunity for conversations. If you have conversations, you have an opportunity for information to flow, for knowledge to flow, right? And as a result of that exchange, there is a great possibility that you will be making better decisions. Right. In fact, one of the issues that I have always been telling that organizations have is how little knowledge flows within the organization. Right. How we seem to cling to this idea to try to protect and hold as much of the knowledge that we have as possible, because we feel that doing that, we are indispensable to the organization. No, we are not. We are actually making ourselves a disservice by, by failing to understand that it's knowledge shared that's the power, not the knowledge is, is power. Right. So in the context of what you mentioned there, Kat, what is interesting is how all of these various different social digital tools allow us to provoke conversations where information flows. And as a result of that, we make better decisions. To the question about that critical knowledge, um, it's interesting that you mentioned that because as a result of those decisions, uh, we have the opportunity to then generate more knowledge that can then be captured and use medium long term as opposed to short term It's one of the one of the things that i keep telling people about when when we have conversations is pick the place where you're going to have the conversation because if that has got short-term memory like messaging and, and chatting apps for instance you're going to have a problem you're not going to be able to refine and reuse that knowledge later on right and that's one of the things why some of these various different social digital tools for long term are so critical because they allow you to have conversations that expand throughout the years. I mean, I started blogging in 2002, so that's 20 years ago. And I have a blog on, on the internet um, that I started in around 2005, right? I still have called blog posts that I reference that I get comments on 10, 15 years later. 
the conversation still is valid. There's more nuance, there's more information, there's more knowledge, but that's something that allows me to have that long-term conversation in terms of, of the topics that I want to talk about, right? And that's that's what is so critical to organizations and where the potential lies, because we need to open up more. You know, we need to to have the opportunity to be exposed to people's ideas, to you know, the information that people share, the knowledge that they share, and as a result of that, have conversations. I mean, um, a good friend of mine, really good friend of mine, who, you know, some, you know, unfortunately passed away a few years back, uh, Esko Kilpi, used to say that conversations are the new documents. And it's so bright. That's, that just encapsulates the whole thing. We had an obsession with documents. For everything, we create documents. So what I always have said, and I, and I told him this, is, you know, we should just turn conversations into documents. We should treasure conversations just as much as we treasure documents. We will be so much better off in that knowledge exchange, I tell you. Yes, surreal. That's so fascinating, Lewis. And I'm just, there's so many things that are sparking in my brain as you're talking about um, all these things. And obviously the issue around being more open, that feels a cultural issue at the heart of it in terms of how do we change a mindset that knowledge sharing is power actually but retaining knowledge doesn't make you indispensable and I think that's something that um, opens up some really cultural challenges within organizations but I was also really intrigued to pick up particularly on this point around digital communication so our members the profession that we represent have worked hard like you say in the last couple of years to really embed digital communications or digital transformation projects that enable the organizations to continue to run to enable conversations to still keep happening to enable relationships to still keep happening but obviously and i think that what i kind of intrigued to think about is well when we're building these kinds of digital communication infrastructures which has got multi-directional flow of communication multi-directional flow of knowledge sharing are we considering those tools enough that really do facilitate that capturing of the knowledge? Because if all we're purely doing is thinking about broadcast information as opposed to, well, how are we encouraging our people to blog or to share or to put things out there or to capture it? So I guess my question is, so how can we perhaps look at our digital communication tools to work better at this piece of knowledge sharing? Because are we just usually too focused on broadcast and connection? You know, um, people may not like this answer, but at the end of the day, it's about power. It's about control of the message, control of the brand and control that power. Right. And this is one of the things that I feel in most organizations and most corporate communications teams haven't understood yet. That is not about having and retaining the power. It's about freeing the power. It's about letting it go. It's about understanding that we are in a world where we enter two way communications. So it's not about broadcasting. It's about having that conversation where you as, as you know, doing corporate communications are a facilitator of conversations that happen where you're not at the center anymore. You're not the brand anymore. You're not the corporate police anymore in terms of what you can say or not. You actually do this leap forward where you trust people to say what they want to say because they are in a professional setting, nothing to do with what happens with the media tools out there. We're talking about internal comms here. You're in a professional setting, so you expect that people will behave like adults, like professionals. But yet we don't let them behave like professionals because we always try to control the message. Oh, we can't have that conversation because it's a tough conversation. 
So what? Maybe that's the reason why you need to have that conversation. So it's no longer tough, right? It To me, it's, a, it's an opportunity where we need to understand how the dynamics have changed. You know, we used to work in, in a lot of organizations where the power structure was dominated by either an individual or small group of individuals or a team, small team, right? Corporate communications, CXO, whatever. We haven't understood yet that we're transitioning, if not already, into a world where networks and communities are the new management, right? And, and if there's one thing that we know from social networks and communities is that you cannot manage them. You can only facilitate the conversations. You can only be one of them, earning the merit of the attention of the folks who are part of that network of that community. And based on, on how willing you are to open up and share your knowledge and, and information across, you will hit a target of engaging or they will just pretty much ignore you, right? This is one of the things that I have been telling folks over the course of the last couple of years that we have failed to do. We have eventually, you know, when everyone has been told that they needed to work away from home, those who could, obviously, um, we have made the mistake that we tried to reproduce online what was happening at the office, not understanding that now we no longer have an issue with the scale. We're no longer talking about individual and small team. We have got networks of people, communities of people all over the world, across different time zones, geographies, business units, who basically now have a common platform for getting together, which is whatever the internal social digital tools that they have. The scale, that, that you know, opportunity to scale things up in terms of how you open up the conversations allows you to be more exposed to information, to more ideas, that come from different walks of life, different cultures, different countries, different, you know, whatever you want to pick, right? And we haven't opened up to that idea. Now, here's the thing. We humans don't handle well being open, right? We don't. It's an effort that we need to make. It's actually a huge effort that we need to make, right? Because we like to work only with the people who we know and we trust the most. Our internal, close, you know, close ties or strong ties, as they call them. But the thing is that the moment that you, you know, slightly open up to a conversation with a stranger or, or what is known as a weak tie, for instance, and you have a conversation about something that you care about and you see that nothing happens, as in you're not going to get killed, you're not going to get fired, you're not going to get fined or whatever, then you realize, hmm, maybe I should do this more often because I've actually enjoyed that exchange, right? In a way, that opportunity for opening up in, in sort of organizations is, is the opportunity to build powerful networks. We're not heavily investing in that. We haven't. Despite you know, having these social tools now for like over 27 years, we still find it difficult and challenging to opening up because we feel that um, it's foreign territory. And, and we don't know it. And because we don't know it, we refuse to do it. That's where I think the role of communications is so key. They can be the lighthouse to open up those doors. They can help people understand, hey, it's okay for us to have these conversations out in the open, to have this two-way two exchange where we don't control the conversation, we don't control the brand, you are the voice of the organization. What do you have to say? That to me is a critical role that corporate communications needs to embark on. Why? Because the whole conversation has changed. Right before it was about you know how can we push and broadcast messages out. Now to me, perhaps the most critical role for communications is how can I become a better listener. 
what conversations are happening there that are amazing and I want to amplify with my power to communicate the way I do, right? And this is this is a conversation that I have been having with Kat. One of the challenges that I have that I also see as an opportunity for communication folks, help us communicate better. Right now, we do a very lousy job of communicating, especially offline. We don't know how to write well. And actually, we have got lots of issues with that. It's one of my particular theories as to why we have this obsession with online meetings. We know how to talk, but we don't know how to write. And corporate communications folks can help us write in a way that we can convey our messages so effectively. That, to me, is the opportunity right now for corporate communications from the next few years. And I'm not talking the next two, three, five years. I'm talking about the next 15, 30 years. How can we communicate more effectively offline with folks who have got a gift for it. Be our light. That's all I'm telling them. You know, be our light. Help guide us towards being able to communicate better. Don't try to control things because you will not be able to control things anymore. You know, the, the genie is out of the bottle and it's going to be very difficult to put it back in. I'm sorry. Well, Lewis, can I look into that in a bit more detail about this human aspect? Because it's mm-hmm. interesting what you're saying. You're saying that, uh, my, my words, but... Uh, Really, knowledge, knowledge sharing, knowledge management is, is really all down to behavior. It's down to what people do and how they, how they interact. But as human beings, we're not that equipped for it. So we're not good at documenting. We're not very good at sharing. We feel uncomfortable right. with it. We're not terribly good at conversation, at least not in a structured way. Um, and I guess a lot of that is because we haven't been brought up that way. Those of us mm-hmm. who were educated in the 70s, 80s, 90s, we were not educated really around conversation. It was more about learning from books or or hearing someone and then writing it down and, and repeating it and using it. So with all that there, in order to, for communicators to be that lighthouse, and I think that's a fantastic analogy, um, what are the human dynamics of knowledge sharing that we really need to focus on and we can't overlook? What are the key ones that as communicators we need to help our colleagues to, to, to do better? Well, you know, to me, a big one is is empathy. I mean, there are two key words that we're not talking about enough in a business context. And one of them is empathy and the other one is caring. Uh, we don't show enough empathy and we don't show enough caring for the other, right? And the other being whoever, right? That, that to me, those, those human traits are so fundamental to who we are. I mean, we talk, I mean, we talk and we discuss about how difficult it is for people to open up. Uh, why? Because we need to show how vulnerable we are. Because we all are, you know, we're not the smarty pants that we think we are or that we have been told that we are. No, we are not. We all have got our own weaknesses. We can turn them into strengths. How? With our networks and communities who know us, who have got that empathetic ability to learn about what we're good at and what we're not good at so we can improve what we're not good at, right? So to me, those human traits start with that, you know, having more empathy and caring more, right? At the end of the day, what happens if you look into it, it's very difficult for humans to open up and everything else. But if you look into it, it's all about habits and behaviors. We have been educated in a way to have a certain set of behaviors and habits. And don't follow that, because if you do, we're going to chop off your legs. I know, very graphical visual image, but you get my point, right? Um, the thing is that if you focus on behaviors, if you focus on habits, and you start shifting one of those, you know, you you do like this this you know you do like a crack on the wall before the wall can be torn apart, right? So you start with something so simple, like you know, for instance, instead of asking questions to the people who you know via email, for instance, or phone call, ask that question in an open forum, in a social network, in a community space, 
you know, be brave enough to just share that one question and wait for people, see what they do, right? You will be amazed about how one of the things that we don't seem to understand either is that it's very difficult for us to, as humans, not to help other people when they're in need. We haven't, we haven't gotten used to that thought, but it's so true. It's how we survived for the last two million years. We cannot deny anyone our help if we know that we can help. So if someone asks me for something, it's very difficult for me to say no if I can't help, right? Now, does that mean that I don't say no? Obviously, sometimes I do. It depends on, on whatever, right? But the thing there is that if I see someone who is having a hard time, uh, you know, having trouble, whatever, about something, and I know that I can help on that, it's very difficult for me to say no, right? So we we not take enough advantage of that in terms of how we can open up, in terms of how we can do that. To me, is is you know, with empathy and caring, and like I said before, is is to expose our own vulner vulnerabilities, right? Um, because that way, we have an opportunity to tell everyone that we are human, we are humane in a way, right? We have got our own flaws. And I know that this is particularly poignant with senior executives because they don't want to show how weak they are. Because if you're weak, you're not worth of a leader. But to me, the one who shows it and is comfortable with it and lives with it is the true leader. Why? Because they know that they can fix and address that weakness with the networks and the communities that they hang out with. It's trust at the end of the day. Right. And and one of the things that I keep telling people about, you know, in, in my experience, and it may be too simple to say this, but the reason why we don't trust people is because we don't know enough from them. And we don't know enough from them because we haven't had enough conversations with them. Right. And I, I you know, at one time, at one point in time, in a workshop that I did, I got a, a response back from a middle manager telling me, like, oh, hang on. I know all of my people and I know that I can't trust them. And right there, I said, you don't have a problem with the technology. You have a problem with HR. You're just hiring the wrong people if you don't trust them by knowing them really well, you know? And that kind of like sparked the idea as to, you know, how much, you know, tools, social tools and digital tools, they are an enabler of certain behaviors and, and certain habits that we need to spark. And at one point in time, you just need to have one, start with one. You know, no one is asking you to go from zero openness to 100 in 10 seconds. There's a level of degree in there. There's a percentage about what you feel with, comfort, comfortable with, right? And from their own words, you know, I keep telling people that this opening up and, and using the social tools to communicate and engage in conversations is a muscle that you train every day. If you fail to train the muscle, it will stagnate and eventually you won't, right? So every day incorporating a habit of sharing something, talking about something, uh, discussing something is what will help generate that muscle that will give you strength and comfort to eventually grow bigger and bigger, right? Um, and then from their own words, is, is that opportunity to say, you know, what do I feel most comfortable with to start with? Typically, it's the things that I know. So start sharing that. And, and then here comes that big censorship, right? Yeah, how do I know that what I share is worthwhile talking about? I said, I don't know, but you don't know either. But perhaps other people do. So don't don't self-censor yourself because you think that it doesn't have value. Let it down to others to decide if you bring value. Let them tell you, oh, you're full of BS, or oh, that was brilliant, right? Don't judge on your own stuff, right? Why do you do that? I mean, why shouldn't you do that? Because if you do, you won't share anything. Believe me, because like as you mentioned, Dom, we have not been educated 
to have that you know critical thinking that opportunity to share to have conversations and everything else so it's, it's something that we need to build it's something that we need to learn can i ask you one quick one quick question sure. uh, I'm, sure. help me with this actually because i'm working with a senior team at the moment who are reluctant to take on board this idea of a vulnerability Mm-hmm. And you talk about that first crack in the wall, which I think is a fantastic analogy. So when you have a, a group of senior people who are reticent to build trust, or at least reticent to do the things that need to build trust, um, mm-hmm. how do you make the case in the first instance? How do you start them to be vulnerable? One poignant question. How would you like to be remembered when you're gone? Brilliant. I love it. Legacy. Legacy. Everyone on that position... Um, People may not like this in the audience, but in my experience, this is true. They have got huge egos, play the ego. And what's the big word to play with the ego is legacy. How would you like to be remembered when you're gone? Especially, how would you like to be remembered when you're gone by the younger generations that you do not interact with? Because if you're not on, on using these social digital tools, there's a great chance that if you continue using and working the way you have done through phone calls, emails, and face-to-face meetings, when you're gone, you're gone from the face of the earth because no one will remember you. There's no legacy, there's no footprint. So how would you like to be remembered? How would you like your grandchildren to remember you and the work that you did? That that melts them all because they go like, what do you mean my legacy? I say, yeah, how would you like to be remembered? You know, imagine like 10 years pass by, you work for 30 years in this company. So what will people think about you, right? And And then, at this, there will be people who will tell you, I don't care about the legacy. I don't care how people will remember me. And I go and contract back and say, well, it's very sad that two thirds of your life have been wasted, haven't they? And they will, oh, you mean two thirds? I say, yeah, one third you sleep, which means that no one will know anything about you because you're gone. And the other third, you just said that you don't care about what people will remember you for. Really? Two thirds of your life, of your one only life is wasted? Come on, don't be silly. We know. We all care about the legacy that we leave behind. That's how I would start with it. Lewis, I'll try that. I'll report back at how it goes. Please. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, one of the things that I have learned over those last 25 years is that, you know, over the course of, of time, you learn that you need to master the skill of persuasion more of driving change or of forcing people to change or whatever is how you persuade others how you influence others into thinking different right and do different and over the course of time um, i learned that you become better at playing narratives depending on on the hurdles and the struggles that you have with people so you develop better strategies you develop better narratives as you go through right uh, but to me the key of that is having conversations i have learned a lot of various different reasons as to why people don't do X, Y, Z, like being open up. Because I have had thousands of conversations with people over the years that have told me their point of view on how they see things and how I see things. And can I find a middle ground, right? And that's the opportunity with persuasion, right? That's where I would start. It, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, and I know we've had these conversations offline, you know, one-to-one, um, mm-hmm. Lewis, you look at many of the, so, all of the social media platforms mm-hmm. today, mm-hmm. And, and you look at how many pointless, vacuous, self-serving, attention-seeking statements are made that 
don't invite conversation, don't invite um, feedback. They're broadcast transmissions of look at me and look at my amazing life. And, you know, we all laugh now, don't we, about, well, it's not even an analogy, but, you know, Facebook very quickly became, and Instagram very quickly became, look at what I'm eating now. Look at where I'm eating at. Look at my amazing life, which we all knew pretty quickly was far from the reality of most people's lives. And what is interesting to me is that many of these statements, most of these statements don't invite feedback. They're kind of closed loop statements. And and it's interesting how we seem able to make statements about ourselves, which 99% of the time aren't actually truthful, yet we cannot, for whatever reason, be vulnerable enough to speak our truth about the reality of our of our lives. And, you know, you look at it, where are we? January, um, February 22. And um, look at look at the politicians who will make their statements on Twitter and then and then block people who disagree with them and so on. We're living in this kind of cancel culture. And I guess what I'm thinking about is, you know, the tools that we have available to us make it very easy for us to make statements and block feedback. And yet it's connection and community that are everything and that will help us overcome our big challenges why why do you know to give give me some thought about why you feel connection and community are absolute linchpins right now given where we're at okay um gosh this is a very nothing big (laughs) fully loaded question right there so so here's the thing um there is a reason why I stopped calling all of these social media social many years ago. They're not. They're media tools. And, and they're media tools that have been designed to manipulate us into certain behaviors. That certain behavior that you just mentioned now is perhaps the most prevalent, right? The one, the one about broadcasting one-way communication. Hey, hello, everyone. Here's how cool I am, right? I wish, you know, I'm sure that you all wish that you had my life kind of thing, right? And media tools feed on that because it's the way for them to trigger our worst behaviors, if I can say that, about, you know, envy, jealousy, you know, vitriol, hate, and whatever else, right? As opposed to be more constructive in terms of opening up to that two-way conversation. I mean, when you mention about politicians, for instance, and not just politicians, literally almost everyone, is that we don't feel comfortable being challenged about what we know. So we don't give an opportunity for that, right? Um, and this, this to me is an issue that we have from the perspective that we don't have, or we haven't applied much of, of a learning mindset, of always be learning, of always be that you know li- lifelong learning attitude towards thinking. You know, to me, one of the things that I have always uh, understood from social networks and communities is that they give me a daily opportunity about to learn something new and be better at what I am. For me to do that, I need to understand that I'm not perfect, that I need to live with my imperfections, 
that I'm vulnerable, that I don't know as much as what other people would know. In fact, I keep telling people that to me, one of the things that I find wonderful about all of these social digital tools in building network and community is that they allow me to understand and come to terms with the fact that there will, there will always be someone smarter than me, who knows more than me, who has experienced more than me. And the challenge for me is, am I connected with that person? Can I interact with that person? Can I have a conversation with that person? In most cases, everyone goes into that broadcast-only mode, so they will go, oh, boy, I can't even bother with you, right? But to me, that's the key to having a healthy online community and network where you understand that the challenge is that there will always be someone who knows more than you. But the opportunity is, how can I connect with that person? Can I connect directly? Do I have someone in my networks, first, second degree, who can help me connect with that person? Can I learn with that person, right? That's where I feel the opportunity is, that we have closed the door down on. Because again, we don't like to be challenged on what we know. We don't want to open up the dialogue and show everyone else that there may be someone smarter than us. So who's going to work with someone who is a smarter, sorry, who's less smarter than you are when I can go to the smartest person? That's the kind of mindset that people have. And frankly, one of the things that I have told people all the time about how we fail to understand networks and communities is how we think of them as something that I can use and I use of, as opposed to benefit from, right? So what I mean with that is that um, we seem to have this nature of the, I only care about the me, 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 my work, my knowledge, my expertise, my clients, whatever else, versus the we, we, we. How can I help my network be better or my community be better at what they do, right? And my community is no longer my community, it's our community, right? So to me, the key message there in, in terms of, of how we can build better network and community is to understand that um, you're just one part of the network one node of the network. And as such, it's not how much you can abuse it, but it's how much you can benefit by contributing, right? And contributing openly in that regard. And, and to me, it's a key message because one of the things that I have always told people, and, and people freak out when I say this, is that I care more about how successful my network and communities are than my own personal success. And there is a reason for that. The reason for that is because I have always thought that if my networks and my communities that I hang out are successful, I will eventually, in the long term, be successful. Why? Because I'm learning from the group of people who are successful in what they do, right? Define success however you want to do it, right? Learning something new, having a successful business, whatever. That's you new. Know, I don't care. But to me, it's more how we amplify what we do by learning who those who we care the most and we care the most from them based on the conversations that we have and how we build on that network and that community right and and it's always understanding that again there will always be someone smarter than you and the question and the challenge and opportunity is how can i connect with that person and if i cannot who can help me now are these social media tools or media tools helping out no they're not they only trigger manipulative behaviors that we need to fight. Are people fighting against them? No, because you know, at, at one point in time, I described the use of these tools, these media tools, as we're basically lab rats that people are experimenting on with us. And we are taking the bait every single day. 
Ukraine. So there's an, there's an opportunity there. There's an exercise there to rebel and say, you know, this is how we want to change things. I mean, if you guys remember when some of these tools started on decade away or, or two years ago, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, they were completely different to what they are today. I was one of the folks who said that they were going to change the world for the better. And we're saying that they're changing the world for the worst because we have made the choice to make the world for the worst. I still want to believe that we can correct course, that we can deviate and use these tools as enablers to build a better interconnected society that thrives on networks and communities that we work with. And the beautiful thing about it is that the pandemic has shown us that that's our mere means of survival. When we no longer have that constant face-to-face -face interaction and that we need to rely online to do some of our work, right? And at how we need to become better and how we can use those tools collectively to communicate, to collaborate, but also to learn, which is something that to me, we're we failing right now in doing it collectively, right? And then people tell me like, so why are you, why are you still on LinkedIn? Why are you still on Twitter? That, after saying all of that, I said, well, because there is hope. You never lose hope. You hope that one day people will understand that, hey, we have been using these tools incorrectly. Let's use them. It's one of the things I have got this, this, this initiatives and I talked about, about doing either LinkedIn hygiene or Twitter hygiene. And that is basically pause for a minute, look into the people that you hang out with and ask your question, am I learning something from this person? Can I interact with this person? Have I interacted successfully with this person? If your answer is no to all those three, you're in the wrong network. So time to rebuild a new one. And that's why it's a constant exercise of, of sense-making of interactions and conversations that you have. So much to take from all of that, that, you know, my brain is kind of like just trying to absorb, absorb all of that. And I think, um, because I think there's things that, as you say, I'm aware of, but I'm not sure that I'm leaning in to make change. And I like, I want to focus on this point of hope because I think we all need mm -hmm. hope. Um, and, and I, and I and I think about because a lot of our members, internal communicators, they have been particularly charged with setting up these social networks, media platforms, whether that's using Slacks, the Yammers, or the kind of you know Facebook at work, or all those kinds of mm -hmm. tools. So it's trying to imitate mm -hmm. personal community with professional community. But I feel like particularly, and this is just a personal observation, and I have I'll be interested to see you your point of view but i feel like personally they've now be, now got a negative common connotation where it's the place that you get shouted at because it's all about transaction have you know the ping if i watch like you know friends or things on on the social about the pinging of the team's notifications or the things like this where you that they're already starting to feel that sense of actually mm -hmm. they're things that just make me feel more overwhelmed rather than that that hope of actually they learn they empower me i feel like i'm part of something so i guess really to tidy up this is, is kind of taking all the things that we've got involved as internal communicators is perhaps one of our opportunities in this really fast-paced really far distributed uh, working environment to try and help sidestep or reverse that negative connotation that perhaps these platforms are coming where it's actually some people are going well, it's making me feel burnt out it's making me feel overwhelmed so how can we get better as you say to train other people to support other people to whether to poke to prod to initiate to role model that actually they're a place of connection and community and the behaviors and the mindsets that we approach them with rather than i feel we're already on a slippery slope towards 
it's just a place that makes me feel stressed. So I guess for me is how do how how do our internal communicators in charge of these things step in, and what do you see as kind of I guess that that opportunity they have to create the right forums? Right. So two key words that I would suggest. Um, one of them is slow down. There's actually there's there's a, a hashtag that I love, which is lovely, which is a slow show. So it's, it's slow social, right? Where communicators and and everyone else participating in the conversations, we need to slow down. You see, this is one of the problems with 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 the pandemic and how it has accelerated the use of all of these social and digital tools. That we still think that we need to operate as if we were in the office. So fast transactional interactions, real time collaboration, going back and forth, boom, 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 boom. Social and digital tools, uh, they are introducing us to the asynchronous world, right? To the things where it's slowed down, where you know you don't go on fast pace and go after you know scroll down infinitely or whatever else. No, you actually stop where you need to stop and you interact where you need to interact. So first tip that I would say there is slow down. The world can slow down. We need to slow down. Right? How do we how do we slow down? With the second tip, make things interesting. Stop sharing bullshit and shitty content and share really interesting things. We are thrown into conversations because we find the topic interesting. How can we not only find interesting content, but also how can we find interesting people that I would genuinely want to learn from? That's one of the things that I think we're collectively failing, that we're basically sharing for the sake of sharing because I need to put out there something. You know, I need to do my content, right? No, 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 no. Tell me something that is truly interesting. Something that comes truly from your heart and your brain that, hey, this is really fascinating. No one is going to walk away from that. People will slow down to that. Does that mean that you need to only share or that you will only be able to share once a week? Hey, it's once a week. But it's once a week that you have a conversation that can last forever because it is interesting. Right? I don't need to snack around. Give me a full meal, please. Give me a full meal where it is interesting, it's fascinating. I don't need to get fat from snacking around all the time. We're fat enough already, but what we have, right? So again, slow down and make things interesting. Find the interesting people, highlight those, showcase them, be their initial voice till they build their own voice and their own writing style as they learn from you to then shine with them. Lewis, um, I'm very conscious of time. Um, you you challenge, gave us the challenge there about work with interesting people. I hope by having you on, we've demonstrated that we're trying to do that as well because it's been a fascinating <laughs> conversation. I think lots of things to take Thank from here. Here's some of the, the nuggets I've taken. First of all, this idea about power lies in sharing knowledge, not keeping it. That's that's really, really helpful, I think. The shift from broadcast to conversation and all that goes with conversation as well. I, think, I love the idea about making it slower and more interesting. There's always a pressure, particularly on communicators, to keep the content coming. And I think being reminded to take a step back and see the value is really good. I love the shift from me, me, me to we, we, we. And finally, I will use this whole question to people about how do you want to see your legacy? How do you want to be remembered? So thank you very much for taking part. It's been fantastic talking. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Hope you guys to you. Have a great day. Thank Lovely you. To to Thanks you. for having me. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening today. This episode has been brought to you by the Institute of Internal Communication and was hosted by myself, Jen Sproul, Kat Barnard and Dominic Walters. This episode was produced by Jessica Williams and Shabita Luogampalu. And if you enjoyed this episode today, we'd be enormously grateful if you could rate, review and subscribe on the channel you use to tune in to help others know that we're here. Hopefully you'll tune in again next time.